consules rei publicae recie, et consules curiae retorum, omnesque cives trium ligarum grisonum, quot nobis licet hospitio vos exciperet. Nam vos in finibus nostris versari, et urbem nostram vestro concilio dignam elegisse, nobis honori est. Ut Felix, Faustum fortunatumque sit, quidquid his diebus inter vos diseretis, ex corde optamus. Good evening. Well, as all you good Latinists will have gathered, that was not a solemn pronouncement by one of the European bishops taking part in the symposium, but the president of the Swiss canton of the Grison welcoming the bishops in what used to be the language of the church. Uh, the laughter uh, can, which came when the president referred to the Republic of the Reti, uh, but that was long ago. However, the town of Chur, or Choir, as, as it's known in French, was in fact the capital of that ancient nation, and the place name itself derives from Curia Retorum. The appropriateness or otherwise of holding an assembly of bishops in a town called Curia was the cause, as you can imagine, of some uh, discussion early in the week. But I think that everybody, bishops, journalists, and indeed uh, another group, of whom we shall be hearing later, all succumbed to the charm of this delightful place where medieval architecture and modern Swiss sufficiency form a blend calculated to please the most exacting visitor. And if that doesn't sound like a good piece of tourist propaganda for Switzerland, I don't know what to say. In fact, one of the pleasantest things about this part of eastern Switzerland is that it seems to be a meeting place of the Germanic and Latin cultures. Um, German, or rather Switzerdeutsch, is the uh, predominant language, but the Italian-speaking area is not so far away, and there are quite a lot of people working here from Italy itself, um, which means there's plenty of Italian to be heard, as well as French, of course. And the fourth language of Switzerland, Romance, which is spoken by between 40 and 50,000 people, all living in areas within striking distance of core. The district is proud of its uh, special character, and on Tuesday evening last, the bishops were entertained to what might be called a bit of a flacule. However, we mustn't spend too long on such uh, sidetracks, however pleasant they may be. The Bishop's Symposium was the second of its kind. It was one held two years ago, and it originated, the idea rather originated, as we heard from Cardinal Conway the other evening, during the Second Vatican Council, when bishops from Europe naturally used to meet together from time to time 
And when they decided that it would be a good idea to have regular, if informal, meetings for exchange of views on matters of common concern. Now, this word informal has to be stressed, I think, because the meeting of bishops held here was in no sense of an officially representative meeting as would be, say, a meeting of the Latin American clergy in their organization, in their common organization, Salem. This was, in fact, a meeting to discuss a given project, to discuss a given topic, but it was informally arranged. Now, the topic chosen was the position of the priest in the modern world. Now, the subject was chosen some two years ago. It's a matter which has become one of some urgency in many countries. It has, it has certainly caused a great deal of discussion in many countries, and it was a very uh, apt and timely theme for the symposium. It was dealt with in formal papers, or in papers given by various bishops, beginning at an open session on the first evening, on Monday evening, uh, a paper by Cardinal Döpfner. And the final address on Thursday evening was given by Cardinal Suenens. In between, there were other papers and there were workshops, Carrefour, and other uh, discussions, less formal discussions. And I asked Cardinal Conway now, at the end of the symposium, what he feels about it and how far he feels it had, has been a success. Well, uh, I personally think that the week here, or the three or four days we had here, was extremely v valuable. I am very happy. I wouldn't have missed it for words, for worlds. And um, I could perhaps put it this way, that now I feel that I know incomparably better than I did on last Monday, the feeling and the general ideas of European bishops about this particular problem. I got that not so much from the papers that were read, which were of unequal value. Some of them were very good. Some of them, I felt, were largely a series of pious cliches. It's not so much in the papers as from conversations. I've had long conversations with most of the European cardinals. One has conversations in the corridors, at meals, we had the working parties, and so on. And this kind of process of taking a sounding in opinion is, I think, very valuable. And I certainly feel that I'm going back with a much better informed mind, and probably with my own views deepened and modified and as a result of this. I personally am very happy some bishops were, were not so happy in that they felt there ought to have been more general discussions. They also felt that the timetable of the conference had been disrupted uh, a little bit by the consideration that was given to these uh, good people that were protesting the contestants, and undoubtedly the program was uh, disrupted to a certain extent by that. But in the main, I personally am very happy I think it has been a very useful exercise. You didn't feel that soundings among some of the contestants might have been a good idea too? Well, as you probably know, a number of the bishops went down, talked to them, and in fact uh, we got them to report back, and they give quite a cool, full account of the conversations that they'd had, and uh, we had a little bit of a discussion after that, and there 
opinion was expressed, and I think was warmly received, that while these priests represent only a very small minority, uh, there was no disposition to write them off completely. Uh, to There was a feeling that, well, this is a fact. These people are there, and perhaps they have something to say. This was, this was said, and uh, to my best of my recollection, was applauded. We'll be hearing from one of these contestant priests later on. But uh, before I left Cardinal Conway, I asked him whether he saw any development occurring organizationally among the European bishops on the lines of the Latin American Conference and on general lines which were recommended in Vatican II. I think it's quite possible. It certainly is true that the whole, one of the central ideas of the Vatican Council was of bishops acting collegially, meeting together, bishops from neighboring countries, bishops from fairly defined regions like Europe, Latin America, and uh, so on. And uh, I think this tendency is growing. As far as this particular symposium was concerned, perhaps I ought to say this, that the, there was a feeling among the bishops, particularly after this week, that the original idea of what we had in mind is becoming very difficult to actuate, to put into practice. Uh, especially after our experiences this week. If I could try to put it in a sentence, what we want is a hundred, about a hundred European bishops from different countries to get together, living, live in the same building for about four weeks, four days, and talk together a lot, talk from morning to night together. This is something that we want. Now, what has happened this week is that this meeting gets a lot of publicity. You have the international press coming. They come actually with a wrong idea. I have the impression that a lot of them felt that this, that at the end of this meeting there might well be a communique announcing that the European bishops were, uh, had decided to abolish celibacy or something like that. Where this was, nothing like this was ever on the cards. Secondly then you had these um, groups of priests coming along and so that it seems that unless you were to hold the meeting on the top of Mont Blanc, it seems that the kind of private get-together seems to be almost impossible. And this feeling I heard expressed by quite a number of bishops. Along with that, then, there is the feeling that the informal kind of get-together that we have in mind should perhaps be more finely organized. And I shouldn't be surprised if, as a result of the forthcoming synod, which will be dealing with this kind of thing, and as a result of meetings which we'll have in Rome at that time, if something slightly more organized does not arise, by which the meeting would consist of people who are really delegates of their own Episcopal conferences, chosen as representatives in proportion to the number of bishops there, and so on. I think this is a development which is likely to come. Uh, how you're going to solve the other problem of having a bit of peace and quiet to discuss these things, I'm not quite sure. Uh, do you see what the symposium as in any sense preparatory for the Synod? Not in a legal sense, but I put the thing this way, that practically all the bishops from Europe who will be at the Synod were here. We were here for four days, we talked an awful lot together, we know each other better, we know what we are thinking. Uh, 
I think we, we know a good deal better what we are thinking, our moods, our fears, our hopes. And that kind of get-together is bound to have an impact on the Synod. In other words, I myself feel <clears throat> very much better prepared for the Synod as a result of this meeting here, even though the actual subjects that we were discussing here are not on the agenda for the Synod, except that they touch, all these things touch on each other. The Bishop's Symposium at Coeur was held in the diocesan seminary, high on a hill above the cathedral. Down at the other end of the town, in a temperance hotel, as a matter of fact, the Contestateur, as they were called, the assembly of priests groups from several European countries, met and discussed the problem of the contemporary priesthood as they saw it. They had their discussions, they listened to papers, they took votes, they passed resolutions, and uh, they made their approaches from there too to the priests for admission, to the bishops for admission to the bishops assembly. Now at a press conference on the final evening of the bishops symposium, the question was asked whether the presence of this assembly of priests, this counter assembly, as some regarded it, whether this was on the whole a help or a hindrance to the bishops. And Colonel Conway took up the question. I, I should say that the <clears throat> what was uppermost in the mind of the bishops was in that um, this group of priests was not at all representative of the priesthood of Europe. We had got quite a number of messages, including one from people representing 2,000 priests protesting against the presence of these people here. And the bishops felt that it would be unfair to the 99% of the priests of Europe to appear to accord a privilege or a standing uh, to these good people. This was one thing. The second thing was that they were terribly anxious to show kindness uh, to them, not to appear brusque or hard. And as a result of these two things, we spent a good deal of time um, working out how exactly we would frame the message to them. There was practically no difference of opinion as to what the content of the message should be. Uh, there was an overwhelming majority, majority in favor of the content of the message. There was a good deal of time spent on how this should be framed, and to that extent, in a very crowded program, a very crowded day, it upset the program, it meant that a paper that was due that morning had to be read later that night and so on. To, the, to that extent, if you like, it was a hindrance. Archbishop Dwyer of Birmingham uh, described the priests as a small pressure group, but went on to say this. But at the same time, I think we must also look carefully at everything they have to say, because sometimes they will say in a wild and exaggerated form something which is a truth that might have been overlooked or not given sufficient importance. Now, one of the things that's uppermost in the minds of these youngsters here is that the church is not making an impact on a whole range of people. People who are not committed to a religion of any kind, the people for whom religion is, is, is irrelevant and so on. And they feel, they feel very strongly the church isn't making an impact there. Now, that was the source of the original priest worker 
movement in France. They wanted to get into the people who were not, in fact, touched by the church. And I think this is something we've got to look at and look at and, and take very strong, very much to heart. And although it might be said in an exaggerated and wild form by some, it still remains the truth. And, and, and uh, to that extent, uh, even the wild men can be, can be useful. And were they useful at this symposium? I mean, was there a reaction? This, uh, this uh, would have to be the judgment of the people who heard I mean, what they what had to say. I think, well, I would say at that particular point, evidently this is not a point that's escaped anybody with any sense. But still, it's, it, 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 is a, it is a point which can bring one's mind back to it again and say, now, are we taking all the means we can to make a contact, make the impact in those circles of, the, of people who are not, in fact, touched by religion? Bishop Warlock of Portsmouth. Uh, two points. Uh, first, uh, on the practical point about uh, interference with the program of the symposium, it did, in fact, have the effect of reducing the number of planned carrefours uh, or time from carrefours to about half what was originally proposed. I think there were originally to be three meetings and there was one full one, one for reduced period to fit in the shifted speech and the third one this morning was crowded out altogether. Uh, so there is one effect it had. The other point I would like to make is I think that uh, as far as one can tell from what contact one could make a, a considerably a considerable variety amongst the people who had uh, come here and were amongst these clergy. They were of very different backgrounds and different intentions, and it would be wrong, therefore, to uh, dismiss uh, all uh, that they were trying to do and say under the same heading, even though I would uphold the right of private assembly, even for bishops. In reply to a question as to how far the symposium had actually helped to clarify the minds of the bishops on the issues discussed, Archbishop Dwyer said, I think it exists in one form or another everywhere, um, but it does certainly, certainly much more acute in some countries than it is in others. This is uh, the first point I'd make. The second thing is this, that it also emerged that it's everywhere a comparatively small number, comparatively small number. And the third point is that the great body of priests are still convinced of their worth and the spiritual uh, worth of their priesthood and are only disturbed there insofar as they wonder how far that particular vocation is being undermined by the violent and perhaps exaggerated, certainly exaggerated in some ways, um, notions of others. What I mean by now the wild and exaggerated notions is the notion that the priesthood as such is finished. In fact, there are those who would say that the church structures as such are finished, that there should no longer be a structured church, that there should be simply uh, priests who are men like other men who have jobs and who occasionally preside over the Eucharistic Assembly, to use their own word. And that this inevitably is going to reduce the church as we know it today to small and uh, occasional groups. This would mean that the vast, num the vast majority of those who are now down as members of the church would no longer be considered as such. And the church would be reduced very much to the mustard seed to the little bit of leaven in the mass. 
to me, this is a, a, a wildly wrong notion. And uh, I, I think the great uh, point about the Catholic Church has always been this, that it is not an assembly of saints. Somebody once said, speaking of another religious group, which I won't mention, that they had a great admiration for them, but the one thing they'd held against them was there were no drunks. <laughs> it was too respectable. They were all committed. They were all wonderful. And say, so that's fine, but that's not the human race. Bishop Butler, formerly Abbot Butler, auxiliary to the Archbishop of Westminster. Uh, I, I should like to just come in on this point in, in as much as... Uh, I think possibly I would regard it as creating a false impression to say that the malaise is restricted to a small minority. It is quite true that the extreme rejection of structures and so forth is, I think, uh, confined to a small minority. But I think a great many priests who are faithfully going about their work and on the whole with satisfaction nevertheless feel that in the light of uh, recent uh, developments, especially Vatican II, uh, this whole question of the priesthood does need a real fresh theological examination. I think that is true. Bishop Warlock. I'm one of the ones who had to give one of these papers. And um, I think something I said then is relevant to this question which uh, Mr. Horgan brought, and because um, I, I would argue that just as the role of the priest in the renewal of the church uh, has to be seen against the background in the world in which this is to be achieved, so I've found through talking these last days that um, the variation in the acuteness of the problem is very much related <laughs> to the variation in the condition of the country in which the priest is exercising his ministry. And that the, the kind of problem which, say, is experienced by a priest in Spain, even though basically the same as maybe a priest in England, is probably different both in intensity uh, and in some way in the, the form in which the difficulty presents itself because of the difference in the, between the two countries. And when we say that there is a, a difference between the different countries in the uh, intensity of the problem, I think it is very much related towards the actual situation in those countries as well. And I think this emerged very clearly from these discussions these days, was a factor of which I personally had not been aware before this symposium. Well, perhaps now we ought to hear from one of the priests' assembly. Father Joost Reuton is a member of the committee which organised the meeting. He himself belongs to the Septuagint group in Holland. I asked him why they did not confine themselves to discussion among themselves. After all, they had many important themes to discuss, the social condition, or rather the social commitment of priests, priests at work, liberty and responsibility, celibacy, and so on. Why, in fact, did they find it necessary to ask to be admitted to the meeting of bishops? Well, you must know that uh, our groups are not very old, but we want to internationalize. And I think that we are here now. It was only because, not, not only, but it was a good occasion for us to come here. A good occasion to be here because we knew that the bishops 
they would speak about the priests and all the problems who are in priest life and, and, and all problems who are connected with that. And we said to each other, we are priests and the bishops are going to speak about us. But we are men and we can take our lives in our own hands. And so we think that it's not allowed that the bishops speak about us and our life and our duties, studies. How do you say that? Duties. Uh, duties. Uh, without us, we have to speak with them. We have to, to speak about those problems with them. Because, you know, bishops, um, in, in, in a few times, in, in a few cases, in many cases, I dare say, they are men who are far from the life from all days. When, and in most countries, eh, here, French, Italy, Spain, Basque, etc., Yugoslavia, uh, bishops don't speak much with their priests. You know, in, 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 in countries where we, we live, most of Germans, but all we, we Dutchmen and, and, and Belgium, we, we can speak with our bishops. Uh, we do it often in their houses, in our houses, they come and, and we speak with them. But in most countries not. And there we, therefore we said, French and Italian and Spanish bishop, we know that they, they are not good informed. And that's why we said it's also a good occasion because we want to be there. We want to help them with their discussions because they, they, they spare time when they, do, when they do it with us together and not only they and only we, we have to discuss together. It has been suggested though that the bishops uh, might regard this not as a help but as an irritation, as a hindrance because in fact, it could be said that they have a perfect right to discuss among themselves without you. Well, that's good that you say that, because tonight I've spoken with a Dutch bishop, and what he said was this. He said, there were only a few papers from the work you did there in your house in those days. But those papers we got there in our assembly, every time when we were discussing about priest problems, in, in, in working groups, you know, the bishops who had your papers... That is, the papers from the our motions, from, yes. Yes. Our motions. Every time we took those papers and we, 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 we put them in discussion and we discussed what you have written and what you said there down in your house because we were not prepared for our uh, assembly for the problems who are now because in the last two years there came new problems every time more and more, and we were not prepared to discuss them, but because you had your papers and your motions, it was helpful to us, and we discussed the points with your work. Do you think, though, even if this is true, do you think that it was wise to insist on being admitted, and to take such a militant attitude about being admitted? But may I ask you a question? Was it militant? Well, it appeared to be militant. Yes. You can say, but I think we, we, we did it worse, didn't we? We wrote a letter a few weeks before we came here, and we said to them, we want to be with you. We didn't get an answer. The second thing was, when we were here, we gave them a, a second letter, and we said to them, we want to work with you, some of us, from all languages, one or two. We want to work with you, we want to discuss with you, and after that we want to have together with you uh, a talk with the journalists. That was not too much. We asked that, 
And the answer we get was no, no, no. What we had to do? The press knew all, the people knew this. We had to say, well, it's good, Bishop. You say no, it's no. And it wasn't it better to insist on this very important point that bishops have to learn, that they have to discuss with all the people in the church, priests and laity. Wasn't it good to insist on this? Because not only for us priests, you have to know that well. Uh, it's also for the whole church that we did this. It was not only for the priests. And, and because all the people who are with us, who live with us in our towns, in our cities where we're working, they know that we, we are here. Well, well, they want that we insist on this, on this question, because this, this is not, not the question only from the priests, but from, from all the people. It has, however, been said, and perhaps with uh, some uh, statistical uh, uh, truth, at least, that you are not representative of the whole mass of priests all over, the, yes. all over Europe. You're right, and we were lucky that in the first meeting, you know, I was there with, with three men to discuss with the secretary and, and to the, those two other bishops. We were lucky that they began to say, well, we are not representing the bishops in our countries. We are only informal here, privé, private. And so we could say to them, well, we also, we cannot say we, we represent all the priests in our countries. We also uh, more or, or less private. And that's why you can better ask us to come. So you felt that this was an informal group meeting another informal group. That's right. Nevertheless, the, rep, the uh, presidents of Episcopal conferences, however informally gathered, can be regarded as having some, uh, and even bishops who aren't presidents of their Episcopal conferences, can be regarded as represented representative institutionally of their of their of their churches of their local churches mm -hmm. um, in fact uh, does the Septuagint group or any of the other groups uh, you've, you, uh, the ones to which you belong do they in fact represent the thinking of a great deal of the of the priests do you think well I think you have to make difference between several groups uh, I think the most of the thinking what the German groups has and, and the Dutch group and the Belgian group is the thinking of most, most of the priests. I dare not say it's in French like this. You know, in France there are 44,000 priests and I can't say they represent all those priests. Maybe not the half of them. Uh, but, but for our countries, it's right that we represent the most of the priests. But do you not feel that if the bishops see you, that they have that other other interests among the priesthood have the right to be seen too? They had the right, but they didn't question that. There was only one group, and, 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 and the bishops said it to us, only one group in Fribourg in Switzerland who asked to come. That was the only group. So they, they, had, they had the possibility to, to, to admit us to let us come to them. Do you think that the little dialogue that you did have with the bishops has produced fruit? You mean tonight, when the bishops, after they said no, no, no on our questions, they said tonight on the telephone to us, you can come. And they were there with, how was it, five or six bishops. You know, this, this evening so, discussion, eh? 
Mr. Tibbetts I think uh, those seven bishops, uh, I think this meeting had fruit because it was so that they, that they had to feel that the questions what they are treating, I think, too much uh, f from the studio room, how, how do you say that? Academic. Academical. Eh? What, what we heard in, in the speech of, of Cardinal Dupfner, it was, it was really uh, academical theology. It was not from the life taken. I think that they have to feel, they had to feel tonight when we discussed those three hours with them, they had to feel that, that we, we discussed from our lives, we discussed uh, the things in the church, uh, you know, the last question, what was fundamental question, what was posed, eh? uh, the Père Cardinal, that, that famous theologue of Toulouse, uh, the bishops couldn't answer very well. Not, not, uh, they couldn't answer, not uh, when it was... Uh, what question was this? About credibility of uh, Christ in the church. And uh, credibility of the church as witness to Christ, do you mean? Yes. And when he, 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 he posed this question as a general question and, and, and fundamental question, they didn't answer, you know. It was a great silence in, 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 the, in the room where we were. And then they asked, but give, give us examples. And then that vast priest began, and, and he began uh, to speak about uh, the priests and the laity who suffer, uh, priests who, who are... Uh, Presence, how do you say that? And, and, and in presence, yes. In presence. And, and, and when, when we were to, uh, speaking about uh, the, the things that state and church in Italy and in Spain are, are joined together, how do you say that? Uh, yes. And, and when, when we, we gave these examples and we said, we, that is all a life of church what is uh, against justice and against charity, against love. And, and you, bishops, you are representing your your whole uh, people, priests and laity. You have to to to, to do something, uh, a sign only that, that would some would something. But but you you don't do anything. Fine. But may I ask you now one straight question, which may seem hurtful. Do you not think that in all this? the priests gathered together here have been adopting a somewhat holier-than-thou attitude, a slightly uh, halo-round-the-head attitude about the rest of the church, including the bishops. No, I wouldn't say that. I only... I'm sure that bishops, they are, for instance, to say first, they are older as we are. But the second and most important thing is that we are every day with people. We live with them, we work with them, we speak with them every day. And a bishop, you know, what kind of people he meets, it, it's most official. And, and most bishops are coming from seminaries, doctor and something like that, and, and they were professor, and I don't know what they were. There are many bishops eh, who, who never have been in a parish, who never have lived eh, with the people. You know, in Holland, for instance, the best bishops, who, who, the best bishop, I, I have to say, who began the new church in Holland, that was a bishop who has been a vicar and a parishman and a pastor, and, and he lived with the people, and that's why he was a good bishop. So I want to say, we have to help the bishops to learn them what we know about the people in church. We have to help them that, to, to, to say what we hear, what we feel, what, what they cannot feel. And, and I, that's why I want to say, 
it's well, it's not accusing the bishops of how do you say that. Uh, we, we don't accuse them in this way that we say, you cannot know it, but only when you want to listen to us. That's enough, then we help you. you Present as an observer at the priest's meeting was Father William Murphy of Arizona, representing the National Federation of Priests' Councils in the United States. Now, this federation is undeniably representative of the American diocesan clergy. We, are, we represent priest councils, that's correct. I don't, there's no such thing as an individual in our particular organization. This is all post-Vatican II, in which there are two different documents within the Vatican Council that said that there should be a priest senate or council of priests within every diocese in the world, which is, you know, elected and collaborating with the bishop and so forth, these different thoughts. So, correct, this particular thing that I represent is an outgrowth of the Second Vatican Council, the dictates, decrees of the bishops themselves, that this is how we should be functioning on an individual diocese throughout the world. So this is how we started in, in the United States, yes. Your federation is of representatives of these, uh, we would almost say, statutory councils. That's correct. Yes. Now, the idea of having a national organization of such councils, of course, is not a Vatican II. This is not Vatican II. This is a particular American thing. I'm, I'm quite certain when I say that this is the only organization in the world of its kind. Having come to Europe now and been in Coeur for the last week, I know there's nothing comparable to it in Europe. But you, your organization was interested in this core meeting of priests. Yes, because we do want to establish relationship with priests, councils, federations, what have you, all over the world. And the odd thing is we've already got contact with South America and Africa, but there was nothing in Europe. In the case of South America and Africa, are you in contact with organizations then of diocesan councils, of, of these priest synods. Correct. Yes. This is just, just is barely beginning. But we do have a little bit of rapport with them now, and until this point here, nothing in Europe. So uh, here what has happened is that you've been an observer from a federation of official groups to a meeting of non-official groups. That's correct. And uh, do you... Is it premature to ask you what your report might be as an observer? Well... Of course, now, you, you asked me that I am a member of an official group. Well, I came over here hoping that there would be something like this in Europe. And this afternoon here, at the conclusion of this particular week and the confrontation that existed between the bishops and the priests, the priests, in fact, did decide to assemble into a permanent group. So the executive board that's been meeting this past week down here in Cora at the hotel did decide to become a permanent group which means they're going to have to go back into their own individual countries, organize themselves on a more permanent basis to make the entire European group a more functional operation. Yes, but forgive my uh, returning to this mm -hmm. point, it would still in Europe be a, a federation of informal, unofficial groups. This, that's all this was here, yes. And that's what the new uh, organization that this uh, permanent committee set up today uh, would have in mind, I take it. I would think so, because they seem to, they want to go back and get more strength within their own individual countries, and yet they will insist upon remaining membership of mostly minority groups. They don't seem to want to organize an across-the-board federation representative of all the elements of their priests, liberal, uh, conservative, so forth. They want to maintain their... Their, their own identity as a, as a liberal group, yes. Did you find your, the meetings you sat in uninteresting? Oh, they're most interesting. 
On the priest part, yes. The interesting, uh, very, very interesting, the immunization of the priests, yes. They were very open, they were informal, but certainly most open. And open to the press also, I think, was interesting. There, there was no such thing as a closed session. Now, did you find many things different to priest meetings in America? No. We, we, we came in very informally, informally dressed. We introduced ourselves and we went to work. And they worked very, very hard, I might say. And I think uh, I was asked this by several different American newsmen when I first arrived, was how do you feel about all these radical proposals that these priests are making? I didn't find them so radical. They're basically the same problems we're talking about in America. And this is one of the reasons I came here, to find these out. What are the problems in Europe? They're basically the same. Social commitment and... Well, very, this is a vital concern to the priests in America, to enter into the race problem and the migrant worker and the poverty programs and the prejudice and all these various problems. The social problems in America should be the vital problems that the priests are talking about, absolutely. How about the problem of work of... Uh, this is... As far as I'm concerned... I mean, work as a priest, where a professional... The work of priest. This, as far as I'm concerned, is a peculiar French problem, which has no application in, in America at all. I just... It, it, I sympathize with the French. If they want to do it, fine. You don't see any need for it in the States? Absolutely not. I, I would go the other way. We're talking in America about a shortage of priests, which means we can't afford to put anybody into a factory. Where, First of all, I consider priestly work good work. I, I consider it truly work in itself. The things that I do, the teaching, the catechesis, the sacramental, everything I do as a priest, I consider this as work, very vital work, functional work. And so I see no reason that I have to leave my rectory, my priestly work, and, what, drive nails or work in a bank or something? I, I don't accept that at all. The unity of the church must be the common aim of all. But there can be diversity in unity. Perhaps one of the main errors of Christian thinking in recent centuries uh, has been to confuse unity with uniformity. Bishop Cahill Daly of Arden Clonmacnoise suggests that a certain diversity, a certain pluriformity, could be of service in the priesthood as elsewhere. One of the key words that we've had during the discussions of these days has been pluriformity, the need for pluriformity in the um, image and style of life of the priest. Uh, in the past, it certainly is true that we tend to have a uniform conception of the good priest. This was possibly less true in the Irish tradition than it was, say, on the continent of Europe. Uh, but nevertheless, we all know uh, what, broadly speaking, this image of the good priest was. Uh, now, this, um, um, the, 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 there is a strong reaction against this uniformism of the concept of the priesthood now. Um, it seems to me that there are two dangers of uniformization of uh, the priestly style of life. One which we've known in the past, but another which is coming up now from what one might broadly call uh, radical groups. So I must say these are, these are extreme radical groups, but these tend to impose a new monolithic concept of the priest as before and above all else, the uh, sociologist, the psychologist, the social worker, the builder of the, uh, of the earthly, or even perhaps in its most extreme form, of the political uh, kingdom, the, uh, the architect of the earthly city, or perhaps even the promoter of the social revolution. Now, there are pressures to, to create this new sort of image uh, of the priest, and I think when we say pluriformity, we want to, uh, to, 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 to reject both this new form of uniformism and the older form uh, which we have known. Now, of course, I suppose the change from rural to urban 
conditions and indeed all sorts of, second, of sociological changes have made this more necessary than in the past. That is certainly true, and um, one strong uh, element in, in, in all the mutation that, that we're going through uh, is, is certainly this, this change which is broadly happening all over Europe, from the rural to the urban style of life. Um, I'd like to put in here, though, a suggestion which I think has value, that the Irish uh, priestly tradition always allowed for a great deal of uh, pluriformity, uh, and that it, it, it gives strong importance to the social involvement of the priest, the priest as the leader of community development. Uh, I mean, if, if we think of who have been the, uh, as it were, accepted types of priestly excellence in Ireland, uh, we, we would think on the one hand, say, of uh, a canon Duff, uh, who, 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 who was um, a holy man, a saint, a man of intense and, and, and persevering personal prayer throughout a whole priestly life. But we would also think of people like the late Canon Hayes and of people like, well, Father Eamon Casey, Father Mike Dyer of today, who are deeply involved uh, in, the, uh, in, in the building up of the, the, the secular city, if you like, or the, the, the secular community of social justice and charity and, and concern. Uh, and they, they wouldn't see this as in any way incompatible with their priestly existence, but on the, or their cultic existence, to use the, uh, to use the modern terminology, uh, but they would rather see it as a necessary extension of their cultic work. Uh, they, they, they would see the community of charity and caring and cooperation uh, as the, uh, the inseparable concomitant of the Eucharistic and praying community. Uh, I, I think that what some of the radicals are groping for uh, now uh, in their reaction against the sacral and cultic image of the priest has in fact been, um, uh, been verified in the, uh, in the Irish tradition, but without the sort of unilateralism that we find in certain radical circles now, without the sort of uh, unnecessary and so regrettable uh, suppression of the sacral and cultic role. Um, I'm not saying that everything in the Irish tradition has been perfect, uh, but I, I, I am saying that we ought to look at the, uh, at the problem of the priest today, not artificially, as it were, uh, through the rather distorting lens of cultures different from our own and situations different from our own, but that we ought to renew it in the light of our own tradition. On the other hand, we, there is a very real problem, isn't there, about the difference between being the as you've said, the leader in the sense of, of um, uh, help, you know, building up, building up the, the community, and the leader, perhaps, in the sense of the dictator, which has been part of the image, too. Oh, absolutely. That's entirely true, and uh, um, I should say that not everything in our, in our Irish tradition of priestly involvement has been good. Uh, this, of course, has been partly due to social and historical conditions, that the priest was the only educated person in the community, and, uh, you know, he was the only one who could give intelligent leadership. But this has changed, and I 
think the priests have welcomed this change, and broadly speaking, I think that the priests now don't want to dictate, but they do want to, uh, to, 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 to educate laymen to, to fulfill their, their, their proper role. And I, I can remember when I was a young priest um, 25 years ago, one was all the time trying to, to, to make laymen articulate and to get them to come forward and accept their own responsibilities, and it would be very odd if, having tried for a generation to do this, we now regretted it when it happened. I don't think we do. Uh, in the uh, in your notion of pluriformity and of many kinds of priesthood, if you like, many styles of it, uh, do you see at all um, that along with the geographical parish, that the, the man attached to the place, there would be a greater number, perhaps, of um, uh, missionaries, of men, not tied to a, to a local situation. Mission, I mean, in the broadest sense, I don't mean mission from one country to another. I certainly do. I certainly do. And I think one can see the beginnings of this in some uh, downtown churches, as we'd call them in different cities, or, or uh, as the Americans would say, inner city uh, parishes, where the geographical population has very largely uh, moved away uh, to the suburbs, uh, and where the, 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 the congregation the worshipping community in these churches is uh, is very largely a non-geographical one. Um, uh, people who, who, who come in for reasons of uh, association with the parish, a sort of loyalty to the parish they've built up uh, over the years. And I, I can see a very important role for uh, churches and parishes of this kind in the future. Again, does your idea of, of pluriformity extend at all to having a, a married alongside a celibate clergy? Well, of course, this question inevitably came up uh, in the course of the week. Uh, mind you, it wasn't uh, it wasn't central in our in our considerations, uh, and uh, perhaps the fact that the concluding lecture did devote a good deal of importance to this uh, might give a wrong impression of the dominant concerns of the week. We wanted um, the celibacy examined, certainly, but note that you know the word uh, examine or re-examine the question of celibacy is ambiguous. You see, the the, 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 the immense majority of the bishops did want this examination to, uh, to, to, to deepen and to renew the biblical basis, the evangelical justification of, uh, and the, um, uh, the intrinsic suitability of the celibate life uh, for, the, for, for the priest in view of his identification with Christ, the great high priest, and in view of his total and um, irrevocable and um, unconditional dedication to the service of the kingdom. Um, wh what we did notice in the course of our discussions was that some of the traditional justifications for celibacy do not seem to, uh, to get across to younger generations now. So what we did want was a re-examination theologically and scripturally of uh, the, 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 this foundation of, of, of celibacy uh, and a new uh, intense effort to, uh, to communicate uh, this sense of the value of celibacy to the younger generation of people. Um, as to whether pluriformism might in the future include uh, the possibility of a married clergy, uh, this is very difficult to foresee. Uh, it's extremely unlikely 
that uh, that uh, this will happen in Europe. Uh, but it is possible, as Cardinal Sunan said, that in certain regions, uh, like say Africa or Asia, where there is a drastic shortage of priests, which probably will uh, will become even more acute in future, that there could conceivably be in these conditions, for these reasons, uh, the possibility of ordaining uh, married men in more at a more mature age uh, to to the priesthood. But uh, uh, th 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 this would be for a very particular contingent local reason and would not entail any radical uh, change in the present discipline on celibacy. No, I think that uh, th th there are strong uh, reasons now for reinforcing the concept of celibacy. There is, after all, the rediscovery uh, of celibacy as a, an evangelical value uh, by, the, um, by the Anglican and the Lutheran and Calvinist communions, which is a very noted fact of our time. Um, there is, I think, also um, uh, the very interesting and, and notable fact uh, that the, uh, the question of a change in the law on celibacy has no bearing, or at least a very, very minimal and marginal bearing, on the question of vocations or the, the number of vocations. We have been told again and again during the week that the Anglicans, the Lutherans and the Orthodox with their married clergy have precisely the same problem and indeed even a more acute problem of recruitment of vocations than we have ourselves. A final word from the Bishop of Harlem in Holland, Bishop Schwarzkreuz, who is well known in Ireland. Drawing the political parallel of European unity, I asked him whether, uh, with all the Europe, with European bishops' symposia and a possible European bishops' conference or congress, was there any danger, perhaps, of a European exclusivity within the Universal Church? Oh no, I don't think so. The contrary, I believe that the. Uh Europe, after all, is, 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 is a, also economically a unit, uh, which from the point of view of, uh, as I say, from economy, is very varied. And I think that's a good thing that, that bishops in, the, in the, the better off countries should realize that, that there are other parts of Europe that are very poor and where we, we, we and again, not only as regards economic difficulties, but also political difficulties. We, we have to think of our brethren who are imprisoned in other countries. And uh, therefore it was for some of the bishops behind the Iron Curtain such a joy to be with us, to talk, to be able to talk openly about their, their worries and problems. And so there's plenty of, plenty of opportunity, you know, to, 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 to take into consideration the other countries. But of course, as was even brought up now today in, in the final resolution, we have to be all the time be conscious of, of all the crimes that are being committed all over the world against justice and peace. Of course, we must, of course, become, uh, have put on blinkers and only look at Europe. We must be, have a wide outlook. But I think we have to start right, you know, from the beginning and build up this sort of feeling of, of, of unity, not only in, in, in your own country, not only in Europe, but in the whole world. I mentioned South America as an area where the European Church might have special responsibility. Responsibility. Oh, yes, that's why I always feel that uh, as a bishop, uh, I have to send priests there if they want to go there. And sometimes, of course, I feel, well, I don't know what I'm doing, because in a couple of years' times, you know, with the problem of celibacy, I, I may get into trouble myself, you know, not having enough priests. But I always feel that if you help the other man, God will help you. 
And that's why I always, I've, I've about uh, six, seven priests there now at present, and I, I promised the bishop there to, to send new people whenever they come back, because I feel we ought to support these bishops who are so badly, you know, needing priests far more than we do, after all. The church in Holland has been regarded as almost the classic case of the changing church. Yes. Uh, do you feel that the experience of Holland will be valuable for other parts of the world, not in the same no. conditions, but in, in different conditions? Well, every country, of course, has to find its own way. And, uh, of course, we have been very much in the news, partly, of course, because of all sorts of sensational stories. As I s always say to bishops, and I even said to the Holy Father, I wish I could take you around the diocese as I go around every Sunday when I say Mass in a different parish. And there you meet the ordinary living faith, and there you see what this renewal has meant to the people, you know, the way they, 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 they share in the liturgy, the way they, they sing, the way they, they go to communion with great reverence, in spite of the fact that they receive communion on the hand, but they do it with great and profound reverence. And if you see the meteorology parishes, you know, people in ordinary parishes, then you see that there is a true living faith. And that, of course, there are, there are extremists, there are excesses somewhere. They're always on the fringe. They're bound to come. If you don't put your foot down on everything that happens, you have to leave some sort of freedom to people, you know. Of course, when they go too far, you have to step in. You're full of hope, then? Oh, I'm still full of hope. Not I'm not pessimistic. Uh, oh, yes, I'm not so pessimistic at all. Of course, you must go on, especially, that's what I always say. The only fear is that sometimes with all these new, uh, well, new ideas, and that we forget the central tenets of the faith. You see, and there, 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 of course, as a bishop, I, I have to be watching all the time. And with God's help and the Holy Spirit, I hope to remain doing so. I think that we might appropriately end on that note. And now, as we old Romance speakers say, Buona noche tot bien da Good night and good luck from Coor.